0: Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Georgia's Association of Healthcare Executives, or better known to many as simply GAHI. Where each episode, we bring you a fresh insight into the world of leadership from a healthcare perspective. And I am your host, Sam Bailey. Welcome to GAHI podcast. We have Angela Ammons on with us today. She is the CEO of Clinch Memorial Hospital in Homerville, Georgia. Clinch Memorial is a 25-bed critical access hospital serving Homerville, Georgia, and uh, the surrounding county of around 6,000 people. Um, She is a BSN and RN by background. Uh, She was featured in the 2020 edition of Time Magazine and also named Hospital Leader of the Year by Hometown Health in 2018. Um, And while working with an outstanding female hospital executive mentors, she implemented a business strategy based on working with other South Georgia hospitals. So, Angela, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you on here today to talk about um, just your leadership uh, down in your hospital in Southeast Georgia. And also just ask you some questions uh, about your journey, um, how you've got to where you are, and some also some challenges that are that you're facing that we see in the uh, current healthcare setting. Sure. Um, so, so welcome.
1: Thank you, Samuel.
0: So first one, we just want to hear a little bit about yourself. You have a really unique um, story and background into how you got uh, from, you know, starting out um, as an RN to how you are now as an executive um, leader at the hospital. Um, I know you've mentioned in past uh, interviews that you're a first-generation Korean American, you know, first female to go to college on your mom's side, um, and just really interested uh, in kind of your background. And we have a lot of listeners um, that come from that clinical setting that, that are looking to move into executive leadership and to, to really get that experience. Um, so, so give us a little insight into into your background and got, how you got to where you are.
1: Well, um, that can be an all-day uh, session because sometimes <laughs> I don't know how I got here. But, yeah. you know, my mother is a first-generation um, Korean-American. She immigrated late later on in her life. Um, she met my father. Mm-hmm. Um, during the Korean War, and they got married and came over, but I am the first um, female in her family to uh, finish college, and obtain a degree, and, uh, and among her sisters, I think I'm the first one who ever finished school, so my mother has never had a formal education, except for going back to obtain her GED now, and she is 74 years old, and she had um, some night classes later on in uh, life, but she okay. never really was ever able to go to school, so um, she is quite proud of uh, me and um, my siblings and the work that we've done, and I, I'm so glad that we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, realize some dreams for her. So, um, but uh, I'm a registered nurse. Started out as a critical care nurse. I graduated from Coastal College in Brunswick, Georgia. Went straight into nursing, and uh, you know, for years you dream about what you're going to do. And when I was much younger. I told everyone I was gonna be a physician. Well, life took uh, me on different directions and um, I started a family early, uh, had some challenges earlier in my life when I was able to go back to school as a non-traditional student. I chose nursing because I had been so used to the caregiving role for years and I knew that would be a solid career for myself. Never ever thought I would go into management. So uh, when that opportunity presented itself, Later on uh, in my nursing career, I at first rejected it. I was like, oh no, I, I want to take care of my patients. This is something that's important to me. But I had also served under some uh, managers that probably needed a little bit of improvement in their skill set. And I thought, well, wait a minute, what if I went to the other side and I could be an advocate for nurses on the management side? And that's how that came to be. And I was actually working at HCA. When I decided to take the job as CEO here of Clinchmore at Clinchmore Hospital, and I've been very fortunate to have been given this opportunity so early into my professional career.
0: That was great, thank you. So your story is riveting, um, and again, it was really spotlighted in that 2020 um, Time Magazine edition that I'm sure you know everybody brings up to you a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Can you walk us through that so it's a fascinating you know, your first job or first day on the job um yeah. you know you were the, the hospital was it's in its ninth consecutive year in the red you had just a couple of days cash on hand um I think you said that you had a census a patient census of you know 1 to 3 of a 25 bed hospital mm-hmm. and that you yourself were actually you know maybe not able to make take a payroll as <laughs> how committed you were to the hospital so maybe walk us through when you when you first got there, and how you know the next few years, um, how addressing those challenges um, in kind of a, a rural, rural setting. Um, you know, we we have a lot of listeners kind of coming from um, that same background of of you know reimbursements rates dropping and and mm-hmm. really struggling to get revenues in. And so maybe just walk us through that challenge that 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 um, newspaper or uh, that that article highlighted and and then how you can move forward sets.
1: Sure. I still can't believe that um, they decided that we were interested or I was interested enough to be in Time magazine. But I'm so grateful Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: it's given our hospital, our team and the work that they did uh, so much press and they really deserve every ounce of credit that they get. But um, I think me walking into the role of CEO and never being a CEO of a hospital before really helped me because I didn't know what I didn't know. I mean, I knew some internal workings of healthcare being in management roles and um, nurse manager and so forth, but I really was not prepared for the amount of work that needed to be done at the hospital. And we're still doing it. We are still clearing wreckages from uh, years past. But walking on my first day, I mean, I, I tell everybody that, that I know that I look like Elle Woods from Legally Blonde, you know, outfit, so excited, not really prepared for what's going to come up. And then I mean, by 10 o'clock, I was just so overwhelmed because I was face, facing adversities um, with employees immediately. I mean, I had people who refused to shake my hand or be introduced to me on my first day as CEO. So that just completely blew me away. I thought, oh, my God, what kind of culture has been allowed to fester and create here that you would treat someone like that? And there was a lot of plant issues immediately. Uh, The facility was built in 2007. So I was not prepared for the immense amount of work that needed to be done in the plant and facility because of poor oversight management. So that hit me within the first couple of hours. And the staff are great people, I think really kind people, but most of them have never been employed outside of Homerville, Georgia, never worked in another hospital or healthcare system. And so they really were not prepared for the expectations I wanted to implement from working at Mayo Clinic, HCA, and uh, Southeast Georgia Health System. And it was just a, a standard, but they weren't used to those standards and we were not even accredited. We were um, undergoing state inspections, which what uh, rural hospitals do, but no one had ever um, desired or tried to get accreditation through Joint Commission or DMV. So I put that as one of my um, top goals to do, and we got it within our first um, uh, application attempt. But there was just, it was just so much work. And here we are almost five years into it, and there is still so much work that has to be done and i think it's from old things and past things but also a pandemic that hit us and the ever-changing reimbursement field and the constant challenges of uh workforce everyone is experiencing but i walked in not knowing what i didn't know but knowing that something had to be done immediately and my second board meeting uh consisted of drafting and Tucker, our auditors telling the board that we were gonna face imminent closure due to multi-year million dollar losses. And I thought, oh my God, I've been hired as this RN CEO to be the scapegoat for the closure of this hospital. And I panicked and I um, had a pity party on the way home. And then when I got home, I said, this is enough. You have survived much worse than this. And uh, you're going to not let this hospital close. So um, I started by creating relationships with people outside of our hospital asking another CEO of a rural hospital, a very successful hospital to be my mentor to help me um, through this process because I knew I needed help I immediately knew wait this is this is too much and she said, I identify with everything you're going through because I'm right where you are when I started here and it was then 10 years ago. So I think she felt kind of sorry for me because she knew that uh, she had gone through the same thing and then we had to start building a team. And that meant making some very hard decisions with our employees. And when you're in a small town and you didn't grow up with everyone, it can be easier for you to make those decisions, but it can also be hard for people to understand that. Um, So that's one of the things we had to do. And we took a program that was very successful in another hospital. We applied it to us and we replicated it to fit us. And um, I give all the success of that to our team for the hospital for sharing that information with us. But I'm gonna tell you something, anybody can give you Samuel a set of blueprints. And if you don't work hard to build that, it's not gonna be successful for you. So the success weighs heavily on the nursing team, the physicians and everything that jumped on board for us to do that because it was challenging. Literally my staff, my nursing staff and direct care staff worked here because they knew that the nurse patient ratio was low and that we were never busy. So this is like their resting spot. We had a lot of PRN staff who took a break here for their full-time jobs because they could get paid for doing practically nothing. I mean, they were watching TV on their phones. They actually had computers plugged into our internet service. Nobody thought that was an issue. I was like, what? You know, watching TV shows. Pretty
0: sneaky. Yeah,
1: I'm like, we've got some cyber issues here Um, Mm -hmm. and security firewall issues here, but uh, reading books, And they wanted me to save the hospital as long as it didn't personally affect them. And I couldn't make that happen. Had to personally affect and change all of us. So uh, they had to embrace that. And if they didn't embrace it, then we gave them opportunities to find employment elsewhere. Because we went from taking care of 1.8 to two patients who could walk and talk and pretty much do everything themselves because we shipped everything out at that time to taking care of patients who are ventilators and traits, who came to us with colonization of all types of infections, with massive wounds. And uh, this was a significant change, but we had to do it to save the hospital. And I was terrified. I thought this is the biggest decision I've ever made in my career. I've convinced the board we need to do this. I've recruited a retired physician to help me. I told the nursing staff that we could do this. And if anything goes wrong, it's me and it's my career. But when you're faced with closing and saving 90 FTEs and their lifestyles in the in the community, you have to take those risks. And I think um, if more people decided to take risks or do something that wasn't comfortable for them, then we would make significant changes in all of our careers and personal life and so forth. But it was hard. It was extremely hard. And um, it, it cost us a lot of capital investment upfront. And we were very fortunate to receive Rural Stabilization Grant that year. They were able to do that. We had to recruit a physician. We hadn't had an employee physician in years. We had to recruit quality staff. I mean. We were being bypassed on this highway for nurses going from way across the to work at South Georgia Medical Center. No one wanted to work here, so we really had to change the community's perception of who we were and what we offered as an employer, and um, I think. That my work ethic and my work style had um, given me a lot of credibility. There was a lot of staff who had worked for me in years past who were willing to come and work with me again. And um, every time I meet a new nursing student or new employee, I said, the great thing about working in a small hospital is you can advance much quicker than in a larger health system. People recognize your hard work immediately. And uh, we give you lots of things to do because we don't have enough people anyway. But I tell them, I said, and I don't mean this to be braggish in whatever form or fashion, but I've never applied for one management job that I've ever had. Every day, and I believe this work ethic was instilled in me by my mother and my siblings, is that you show up for work every day. Your employer owes you nothing except for the salary that you agreed upon and that you have a team of people who need you. Whether you're working at McDonald's, whether you're the front desk registration, whether you're working as a waitress, we always show up and I always tell my children, you are the best employee in any employment area that you work in. Always, because you never know when you're going to have to cross that bridge. You never know when you're going to be sitting in front of someone again and you need uh, a job. And people approached me uh, for the management positions and they even approached me for the CEO position here. So when you think the work you're doing every single day doesn't matter or that no one is watching you, that is not true. People are always watching you. And if you show up and you do the right thing, and you work hard every day, it really does pay off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's contributed to the success of the hospital and everyone here.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. So I want to go back to that strategy you were talking about that that has really been, um, you know, it was really highlighted in that, that Times uh, Magazine with the swing bed strategy, uh, which mm-hmm. is a big part of, you know, bringing your hospital from, you know, revenues, you said of, of around 700,000 to almost 5 million in 2019, which is, you know, 700%. So this swing bed strategy has proven really successful for a lot of these mm-hmm. rural hospitals. Um, and while, you know, you didn't necessarily invent the wheel you've used the wheel to be, uh, to, to make that change. So maybe if you're, if you're able to speak about it, can you go into what those partnerships look like and how you, how you made those relationships and those connections? You talk about um, that partnership with Grady and Grady is a huge name um, in Georgia um, that everybody knows, but how do you, you know, begin to make those connections and, you know, get those patients from other health systems? What, what does that look like?
1: Well, it took me stepping out of my comfort zone. And I, and I think so many people are afraid to admit the things they don't know. And they're so afraid to ask for help. And in this world where um, there are very few women in executive positions, uh, we seem to fight each other for that p- place at the table. And I hate that. First of all, I wanna say that I hate that. There's enough wrong in healthcare that there is enough to share with every single person. And instead of trying to fight the other female or the other executive over that position, just build a new table and and, and open the seats up for yourself. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are not willing to share information because they think it's competitive. And there's a lot of people who are willing to help you as long as you don't out succeed them or outgrow them. But we always need to be in the position that we need to be a part of someone else's success because that indirectly um, shows what part we played in that. So never be afraid to do that. When someone asks for help, help them, but never be afraid to ask for help. I remember my first day on the job when it was such a headache, I closed the door to my office and I had researched uh, successful CEOs or critical access hospitals. In Miller County, Robin Rao kept popping up and I picked up the phone and I cold called her. Miraculously on that first day on the job, Whoever answered the phone put me right into her office, didn't take a message, and she happened to be at her desk when I called, and she answered the phone and said, Robin, you don't know me. I'm an RN, this is my first day on the job as CEO. I've researched you, I need some help. Will you be my mentor? So that really is what started the relationship. Robin already had established relationships with Grady and other hospitals, uh, larger tertiary hospitals. And so we started a mentoring relationship. I came to her hospital, she came to mine and then um, I didn't hear from her for like two weeks, and that was very uncommon, because we were texting frequently and calling, and I finally said, Robin, if you're alive, send yes, and if you're dead, send no, and I'll leave you alone, not a problem, so she called me, she says, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I feel compelled to help you, and we are going to introduce this program into your hospital, because, you know, you have a beautiful, brand new facility, and the beds are empty, the parking lot is empty, I don't, know of anything sadder so we started this relationship we um shared training our staff went to her facility to learn how to take care of these vent trait patients we had an average of i think two swing beds and our reimbursement was phenomenal but it was so poorly underutilized so in um 2017 when i started our swing bed revenue alone was 730. dollars Two thousand and eighteen, it bumped up thirty thousand dollars to seven uh, sixty. within nine months of implementing that swing bed program that included vent trait patients, it was over five point two million dollars within nine months. Yeah. And it, like I said earlier, it was it was a huge stretch for my staff to learn everything that needed to be learned. But we were rocking and rolling within a few months, and Robin has even uh, complimented on us and our ability to catch on so fast and learn this. But um, the community at first didn't embrace it. They thought that we were filling up all the hospital beds with patients from all over the state. And they said, no, we're not. Uh, we'll keep two beds open because really the average census is two. Our community was not gonna keep the hospital open, That had to find a way to keep the hospital open for the community. And so taking care of these vulnerable patients allowed me to keep our hospital open, ER open, hire a physician, ancillary services, and so forth, and um, I guess every step from there is me growing and stepping outside of my comfort zone. I'm a huge introvert. I talk all day to people. There's nothing more than I like to do than to go home, read, and shut down, and so networking for me was just such a if anybody else feels that way, just walking into a room and going about and small talking with everybody, I thought, oh, my God, there's nothing worse than I could possibly think of doing. But I learned that it's, it's important to do that because there are other people like me who need help. And there are people there who hopes that someone will come up and speak to them. So now I'm the person who's speaking to everyone, passing out my business card. But that helped me make other connections. And so we have benefited either directly or indirectly from me doing that. We have been printed multiple times in the Journal constitution. Um, we have been featured in other magazines from work that we're doing with our community and farmers and uh, successful uh, stories about employee initiatives that we try. And I think it's me stepping out of the comfort zone and in introducing myself and making myself available. And I always say to anyone, any institution, if you have $2, you need to spend $1 on PR. Yes, that's the only way anyone is going to know anything about you. And I do think that has what garnered us attention for congressional recognition. We were on C SPAN. We've been on Fox News. I mean, what other little rural hospital mm-hmm. who was just a few years ago on the verge of closure is doing that right now? And it's nothing. I don't mean anything bragging about that, but it's been a lot of hard work and stepping outside of your comfort zone, helping people and asking for help. And if I had not been bold enough to admit that I didn't know, What I was doing or I was way over my head that day, then I don't know where we would be today. So sometimes you have to do that. And then learning and taking what you are given because the Weight Watchers app on your phone doesn't mean anything if you don't track points, right? So you have to actually apply everything that is given to you. Now, everything's not going to work for you, but you have to do the work. And we did the work here and continue to do that work. And we offer excellent patient care. Remember, I'm so proud of this team who's watching Netflix, and now they're taking care of patients on vent traits. And we have had miracle stories where our patients have gotten off the ventilator and walked out of this hospital mm-hmm. after they wow. have been sick for months. So we're doing great things here. And the Swing Bed program has afforded us to do massive upgrades and capital purchases, hire a physician, grow from 90 FTEs to 150 um, so, we're making a huge economic impact in the community, but we were still in our pharmacy paper documenting everything. I couldn't believe when I got here. So, we purchased an OmniCell equipment, we've opened a retail pharmacy, we've expanded our services. So, as a result of stepping out into the unknown, our hospital has uh, benefited greatly from it.
0: That's phenomenal. That's awesome. My next question uh, I wanted, Kind of come to more current day as we've been talking about you know when you got there in 2017 and turning that around the sure. current day two of the the huge challenges that hospitals face especially all over georgia but uh, definitely you know nationwide um a is the contract labor of, of nurses um and really you have contract labor because of the rn turnover and so those two things contract labor are turnover are kind of i think every ceo's um you know, what keeps them up at night right now and they're, they're a headache. So maybe speak uh, to what that looks like, what initiatives y'all have around um, these two challenges at Clinch uh, Memorial.
1: We are doing all that we can to survive this. I mean, it was very challenging for us to recruit to Homerville, Georgia anyway, because we're not urban. We don't have, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: anything to really attract anyone here. So it's extremely difficult and we have very limited housing. So I honestly, I I continue right now. I honestly don't know how hospitals are going to stay open unless Mm -hmm. something is done. And I'm a registered nurse. I never thought the whole time I was going to school that we would ever be in a position as a bedside nurse to make $150 an hour. Or for agencies to charge us that. Um, Being on this side of it, there's no way a hospital can sustain that. No way that we can ever sustain that. The funds are going to dry up eventually. And then where we'll we be, we'll we'll be left with closed hospitals. That's where we'll be. And so we're going to be in a lot of trouble if we don't do something. So we have tried to creatively avert that. We started our own in-house contracting agency. We um, realized uh, that the nurses and respiratory staff are not being paid the $150 an hour. So we started 13-week contracts paid at a, a, a higher rate than what they're given directly. And we've had some success with that. But still that's not anything for uh, that we can sustain long-term. As a hospital, we have tried to be creative with benefits. We partner with a company called Ritaza out of Atlanta, and we have a corporate wellness program that we partnered with Georgia Farmers. And every week we have a local produce delivery and we give free food to our employees. And each week we don't know what's gonna be, it's zucchini, potatoes, whatever's in season. So we do that because in the South, you feed people, like when you love them. So you're like, here, eat, get some zucchini. But during the pandemic, when they were working such long hours and they didn't wanna go to the grocery store and nobody wanted to see nurses in their scrubs in the grocery stores during the height of the pandemic, um, it really helped them by being able to stop in the cafeteria and pick up some food and go home. Uh, We have um, tried to give away a car. (laughs) because we cannot compete with the $17,000, $20,000 sign-on bonuses. And it really hurt the people who had already been here for years to see that happening. So we created a program that every two weeks, if you showed up for your shifts, if you signed off on your time, you didn't have needless overtime, your name was put in a drawing. At the end of the year, we drew for a brand-new Ford Escape. So we did that. We bought housing in the community because we realized that people were challenged with ESL accept the job for you, but there's nowhere to live. I'm driving 45 minutes away, and that really was causing turnover even more, because they would decide to go work at a hospital that's closer to them. So, we bought an apartment complex, and um, we uh, tried to make sure that we had housing for any staff that needed it, and we've had people partner in the community to give us housing for overnight stays and for respiratory staff and so forth when they needed it. But um, I don't know what hospitals are gonna do in the future. And especially if the new uh, proposed legislation is passed, the bill about mandated nurse-to-patient ratios, I don't know how we're going to combat that. I don't know how we're gonna survive that. So there's got to be um, some advocates speaking for the rural hospitals and the large tertiary hospitals, but for hospitals overall, to speak to these people and say, look, we, we need the hospitals to stay open, but we can't do it at this pay scale. And so we're trying everything we can. Um, I'm looking uh, for the special easy button that's going to make everything go away, but I just don't know how that's going to happen. We just got to come to um, a point where we can meet and discuss this. You know, larger tertiary hospitals receive funding based on their volume, so they received so much more money than rural and critical access hospitals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of rural hospitals have already gone through those funds just for daily operating capital because volumes are still not picked up. So I really don't know how we are going to sustain that. And if the ho- rural hospitals and critical access hospitals close, then that's going to increase the burden on the larger tertiary facilities. And, of course, the community will be affected because there will not be a hospital there. And that's so important. Rural and critical access hospitals definitely solidified our uh, need in the communities during this pandemic because can you imagine the overflow in the hospitals if we had not been here I mean we were vaccine clinics we were infusion clinics and so forth and we set up ICUs in our ECR in our ERs when the pandemic hit so we need to be here we have a place and we just need to find a way to find a a way that we can all stay open
0: yeah I know I totally agree with that I think we're all hospitals around the country are feeling those same sentiments. Um, Thank you for that. So my last question is really speaking to, um, you know, we have within uh, the Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, a lot of, you know, aspiring leaders um, to be healthcare executives one day. Um, And I think what happens a lot of times in in these roles (laughs) kind of you're speaking to it is you get thrown into these, these, these major challenges over multi, multiple departments, um, a lot of things that need changing and improvements. And it's just a really big task. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really big thing to manage uh, on a day-to-day basis. So I'm curious, on a personal level, how do you handle the stress and um, the challenges and the pressures that come with saying, hey, we need this hospital turned around? Because I think it's something that all healthcare executives feel. And mm-hmm. so what would your advice be to you know the many GAHI members that um, are looking to move into those roles and how how to really handle that on a day to day basis.
1: Well, um, the first thing I would ask anyone listening is is this truly what you want? Do you truly want to be in an executive position? And if you do, you need to be prepared for the work that comes with it. Uh, I, we have had several interns um, come through uh, our hospital as part of the MHA program and so forth, and um, I think some of them, uh, most of them are great, have turned into great employees, but some just have the mindset, I've got a degree, that's all I need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I want to work from 8 to 3.30, you need to work around me because I'm so very important because I have this master's in healthcare administration and, you know, choosing to work in your facility. Well, that's not yet, okay? So just like nursing school taught me, it taught me how to pass the boards. And my clinical experience was gained from years on the job. So you have to be patient with yourself. And the number one thing I tell anybody in this facility is like, you do not have to know all the answers. I just need you to be honest. If you don't know what you're doing, if you need help, I need you to speak up and ask for help. Because there are days that I need a tremendous amount of help. And I fail every day in something. Most of the time it's like, oh, I drank Coke today when I said I was just going to drink water. But, you know, and, and and I have, you know, I have, um, falling big too and I'm very transparent and I remain vulnerable to my the staff and I say guys I messed up I dropped the ball this is all my fault whenever there are issues in our revenue cycle whenever there are issues in facilities I am it you will be it at the top of that CEOs and I know a lot of people say well their salaries and I, you know rural hospital CEOs don't make that much but we're responsible for everything we're responsible for everything And we are held accountable when facilities fail, when revenue cycle fails, when something in nursing fails. The CEOs are looked at first. So you have to be prepared for taking on that amount of responsibility. Your degree is not going to prepare you for the job. It's going to get you in the door. Okay? You have got to make friends with people, and you've also got to know what distances to keep with people too. Don't uh, overshare. That's just very important. And if you want to be really good at your job, You can't clock in from 8 to 4.30. I continue to listen to podcasts. I read books. I um, network with other CEOs. And I remember, I think it was like a week after I received CEO of the Year Award. I didn't understand something in my financials. And I knew that a friend of mine who was CEO and CFO at his hospital, we call each other all the time and we say crap to each other all the time, but we are confidants with each other. And I picked up the phone and said, I really don't understand something with his financials. Can you help me? And he was like, didn't you just win CEO of the year and you're calling me for help? I said, yes, but I still need help. So uh, don't ever let your egos be bigger than the job that you need to do. And this job you cannot take personal because when you're making decisions that's going to save the facility, you're going to be hit with such negativity. You will hardly ever receive any praise. And when they approached me at Time Magazine, And said, we really would like to feature in our article. 90% of me was really excited about it. 10% of me didn't want it to happen because I knew I would face critics because there are people in your life who are fine with being your friend or your colleague as long as you don't do better than them or as long as you don't um, receive special recognition. And I knew there are a lot of people that were not going to understand it and there are going to be a lot of people that wouldn't cheer for me. And I was absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. I received a lot of criticism from that. And when you're making decisions, sometimes you have to terminate someone that's been here for 30 years, is well liked in the community, and you have to uh, break partnerships that have been in existence for years. You have to be prepared not to take it personally. I have been personally attacked on so many levels as an administrator here. And if you don't keep your eye on the end goal and say to yourself, "It's not about me," you have to save the hospital. Then I would have walked out the door within a few months of it, uh, of taking this job. So I encourage you to really find or answer that question deep within yourself: Is this something that you truly want to do? Because believe me, there are some days I would, I think I could really be a Walmart door creator and not have the stress. <laughs> <laughs> what can I give up in life where so I wouldn't have to stress? I really want to raise chickens and like have a vegetable farm stand. But will that sustain my life when the stress really gets to an all time high? And um, you just really have to be prepared for that. You're never going to make enough money for the job that you do. Never, ever. And you're never going to be truly off. Even when you're on vacation, your phone's going to be in your hand unless you're in some remote location that doesn't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> so this job, and any job that's important requires a great deal of time and a great deal of sacrifice. And I would just encourage everybody to realize that before you step into it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and to call great. me
1: if you ever need anything. <laughs> I uh, People have asked me to be a mentor. And when I was mentored, I promised to always pay it forward. So I'm always available to help anyone if they have a question, comment or anything.
0: That's great. And that's uh, we appreciate your your honesty and your advice there. I know that's going to be very helpful to a lot of our listeners um that does wrap up all my questions i did have maybe one really important one was how do you feel about the georgia bulldogs football team this year i know you're Woo-hoo! i know you're an avid <laughs> fan and you know coming off a national championship high um i hey, guess i have, have that per- saved have- as a clip
1: <laughs> yeah i have it saved as a clip when i'm having a really bad day i watched that espn highlight and i'm like yes
0: <laughs> yeah, I love
1: it. I love it. We have great. a few Florida fans and Auburn fans that are missed here. So I love coming in to work the day after that. but go that's dogs, great. go yeah. dogs.
0: yes, you won't hold that against you that, that's that's <laughs> awesome. Well, well, thank you again for for coming on the podcast today and and um, giving some time to to the listeners. Um I know they're really going to appreciate uh, your story and that story of success.
1: Thank you so much, Samuel.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the GAHI podcast. Please subscribe to GAHI podcast to stay completely up to date with upcoming episodes. Have a great day.